blame oh, him for that. I was you the one blaming him with that. that. Austin Matthews, very good two-way forward. Nobody's saying Carson Wentz is the go. Oh, your team sucked, Parker. Pick one. And before Miami fan over here starts talking. Blasphemous. And I'll tell you why. What does that tell you? He's terrible. I'm not out here saying Tom Brady's bad. Yeah, you are. Listen, Gary. <laughs> I'm saying pick it. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Daft Picks, the decade in review. Again, for the next two weeks or so, we'll be continuing to wrap up the decade in sports that was. Today, I have producer Parker, as always, and joining us is uh, also Luke. Yeah, hey, guys. Today, we'll be wrapping some of the biggest moments, best players, and everything else in baseball from the 2010s onward, starting with our team of the decade. So, Parker, why don't you lead us off? As we did last week with hockey, we're going to go through position by position. Starting the outfield, so who are your three outfielders? All right, so for center field, I have Mike Trout. That's kind of an easy, obvious pick for outfield. Right field, I have Bryce Harper. And then left field, I have Justin Upton. Those are pretty good picks. I'm, I'm a little surprised about the Justin Upton pick. I mean, I'm a bit of an Upton homer, and he's just been a very consistent right fielder. So. Okay, that's pretty fair. All right, Luke Madrowski here, the WCLH sports director hopping on from Wilkes University here. Three outfielders for me. Uh, Mike Trout is a, a no-brainer. A no uh, I went with Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, he's just He's been clutch over the years. He's had some good moments. Obviously, he's had his ups and downs. I think a lot of players have had their ups and downs. But then lastly, I went with Ryan Braun. So those are my three. Those are all respectable picks. I omitted Ryan Braun simply because of the steroid scandal he endured. Sure, sure, yeah, and that's, that's certainly fair. Definitely something to consider. Is he going to make the Hall of Fame? No. But I think just from a decade perspective, in terms of one of the best three outfielders, I think he's definitely in the conversation. Maybe you could argue that maybe he's only in the top five. But uh, in my opinion, I, I see him in the top three. Okay, those are fair points. I also went with Mike Trout. I think that was basically a foregone conclusion. I also went with Andrew McCutcheon because Andrew McCutcheon was clutch all those years. And I went with Giancarlo Stanton because he is the one of two players in the modern decade to have 305 home runs, which is tied for the lead since 2010. Yeah, I think a lot of us forget just how dominant uh, Giancarlo Stanton has been, and I think a lot of stuff going against him is just how long he played with the uh, Miami Marlins and just like the little media covers that they've really gotten. Yeah, I think once he gets a chance to play a full healthy season in New York, he'll be just fine. We'll kick it over next to the infield, so run down your you know, first shortstop. All right, first baseman, I have Miguel Cabrera. Second baseman, Robinson Cano. Third baseman, Adrian Beltre. And then shortstop, this will come as a little bit of a shock, Elvis Andres. I think he's been very consistent throughout wow. the game. He's a very good all-around player, very good hitter, very good at stealing bases. And I think that just kind of goes just how thin that the shortstop position has really been this decade. But he is still a very good player, in my opinion. No, well, you're definitely right. Yeah, We had certainly had a lot of conversation about Derek Jeter just hadn't played enough in the decade to really be considered for this decade. I think if you're talking about a different time period, obviously, he's yeah, like, he's in a lot of those conversations. Yeah, I was but, really considering Francisco Lindor, but he's only been playing since, what, 2016? Oh, yes, Lindor, baby. So, like... Lindor. He, like, if, if he played, like, maybe one or two years earlier, he would have been a shoe-in for this. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so over to my four infielders now. Uh, at first base, I went with Miguel Cabrera. Robbie Cano at second base, Adrian Beltre at third base, but Troy Tulowitzki, of course, has Ooh. has to be the shortstop. I don't know where you're, where you're pulling that from, but fair is fair. I also considered going with Tulowitzki, but I feel like my sort of omission on him was that he didn't play really after 2016 or so. I mean, he, he was banged up. Even with the Blue Jays, he didn't get a chance to do what he was supposed to. 
So that's why I omitted him. But I can see why you put him on there for sure. Yeah. A lot of maybe other infielders. I'm going to agree with Parker's suggestion that the shortstop position maybe is a little shallow as compared to previous years. I, I think Miggy over there at first base, just a, just a solid, solid player. Yeah, I mean, that, you're definitely not wrong. For my infield, I went with Paul Goldschmidt at first, Robbie Cano at second, Adrian Beltre at third, and I actually kind of went out of the box and I picked Trevor Story at shortstop. And I went with Story because I don't think there's been a player since coming into the league with a pure raw impact that he's had. Trevor Story. And wow. I know a lot of people argue that he's his stats are inflated because he plays half his games at Coors Field, which is fair. But he is just such a good defensive player, and he's evolved into a, a great contact hitter too. Y- I mean, you to know, be fair, he is the fastest shortstop to reach 100 home runs. Listen, I, I don't know if I I don't know if I buy that argument that stats are inflated at one field as opposed to another. I mean, at the end of the day. I get the field dimensions are different, and maybe you're going to see more home runs at more fields, but at the end of the day, you still have to hit a round bat with a round ball. So, And there's a, there's a lot of great pitchers in Major League Baseball right now, certainly. Obviously, they, they've getting, given up a lot of home runs as of late, and that's probably a to- totally different discussion for a different day, but just something to consider going forward. Next, we'll hit our DH, so go ahead. DH, I just pulled the name out of the hat here. I really, I went with uh, J.D. Martinez. Very good outfielder, but he's also a very good hitter. So I just started went with him. I felt like like the outfield position is very deep, and J.D. Martinez is a very good player, and I feel like it would have been weird to leave him out just because he's been very consistent this decade. Okay. I also think J.D. Martinez is a good pick, by the way. I, just, I think it was a safe pick, if I will. All right, so I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz as a designated hitter. The only reason is that nobody hit more home runs than Nelson Cruz over the last 10 years. So I just think he's a really solid position there uh, over there in the American League. Rangers, Orioles, Mariners, Twins. So it's hard to believe that he's really bounced around to those four teams and not one of those four held on to him consistently but that's just kind of where I see Nelson Cruz I mean obviously the game's not all about the home run ball and not all about the long ball but to a certain extent if you could put the ball in the seats you're doing pretty good for yourself you know Cruz is a good one I, I did omit him because quite frankly I didn't have room with him but I actually went with Bryce Harper I think pound for pound if we're just talking hitting stats, he is the biggest boomer bust player in the MLB. He's either going to deliver you 30-plus home runs and a crazy batting average, or he's going to hit in the low 200s. And that's just how he is. And I think with DH, you live and die by the sword. So that's why I went with him. Uh, we'll go into the catchers, and we'll include those with the pitchers. So give us your two pitchers and your catcher. Uh, starting pitchers, this one I found incredibly easy. Uh, Verlander and Scherzer. The, the big name being omitted is obviously Chris Sale. I feel like he's a big omission, but I don't know. I feel like Verlander and Scherzer have just been really dominant the whole decade. E- even recently, too, saying that they're both on the wrong end of 30 and they're both playing at uh, Cy Young level. I think it's incredible. For relief pitchers, I have Jansen and Kimbrell, two of the best closers uh, we've seen this decade. And then for catcher, Buster Posey. All right, so I'm going to start with the starting pitchers first and uh, went with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Scherzer, 161 wins over the course of the decade and over 2,400 strikeouts. I mean, just just certainly fascinating. You look at his ability to get outs, and it's just awesome to watch. You look at Justin Verlander, he doubled as a MVP and a Cy Young Award winner. When does that happen? It doesn't. 
2011, Justin Verlander was the guy. The last time it had happened was Roger Clemens in 1986. So tell me how dominant these two pitchers were in Major League Baseball over the past 10 years. Also went with Kenley Jansen and Aroldis Chapman in the bullpen there to close things out. And Buster Posey, I think, has really been an electric catcher for San Francisco for much of the decade. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way catching has evolved. I think Buster Posey is at the forefront of that movement. He's really, at least in my recent memory, one of the first catchers who can play good defense, hit the ball for power and contact, could run a little bit, and basically doubled as a personal catcher for Madison Bumgarner for the majority of his career. So I also feel like while we're talking about good pitchers, I want to give a shout-out to Yadier Molina, who I think is a very solid catcher that's probably going to be a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, I thought about putting Yadier on my on my list, but I did not because I think uh, I'll just start with my catcher. Yeah, yeah Posey's in his own separate level. Yeah, I went with Posey, and my, my, my pitching is a little bit different, I will say that. I went with Verlander because I think that's a given. But actually, this might be a little bit of recency bias and also a little bit of team bias, but I went with Garrett Cole, and I'll tell you why. I think Garrett Cole, pound-for-pound strikeout-wise, is one of the best, if not the best, strikeout pitcher in the game. He's got electric stuff, and really, since he left the Pirates, he's been dominant. And you're talking a couple of years now where even with the Pirates, he was a great pitcher. So I went with him over other players. People know probably by now I'm pretty off the Max Scherzer bandwagon. I really don't think he's that good of a pitcher in comparison to some of his compatriots. But I won't hit on that today. My relievers, though, I went with Craig Kimbrell and Houston Street. I think a lot of people forget how dominant Houston Street was for those couple of years. He didn't burn quite as brightly into the 20, 2010s as he should have, but even 2015, he was still a really good pitcher. I'm surprised no one went with Clayton Kershaw. You know, he's been dominant. I think there was a certainly maybe a logjam of sorts in the starting pitching category because I think we've seen some of the ebbs and flows. Kershaw really has been a good guy, but um, he just didn't just didn't crack the top two for me. But that's tough. I mean, when you're talking starting pitchers, like a lot of these positions we can narrow down to one, like a shortstop, okay, maybe things are getting a little thin. But when you're talking starting pitching, we're, we're, that's that's really five positions on a team that we have to sit here and narrow down to two. So that's that, I think, was probably the toughest task of this all-decade team uh, looking ahead at in, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I try to think, too, with Kershaw, the, th- the knock on him has always been postseason yeah. success. And you can say what you want about Verlander, but he's got a ring. Garrett Cole has a ring. I don't and I, I don't really boil it down that far, but also just look at pure individual success. I mean, Justin Verlander has won it all. Yeah, there's a big discrepancy between the playoff performances of Garrett Cole and Verlander, and Scherzer, for that matter. And then there's Clayton Kershaw. And you can also make the argument the Nationals weren't always good. The Detroit Tigers were not that good uh, most of Verlander's tenure. The Dodgers have, for the most part, always been willing to at least spend money or, at the very worst, have had good players on their team. Like, if you remember back, the Dodgers paid a lot for Carl Crawford, so they were willing to go in on big players. And I just don't think Kershaw's had to struggle as much, especially at Dodger Stadium. I know... At some point, Luke does have to go. Not quite yet, but we have a couple more things as far as like decade moments while he's here. Wanted to get your guys' opinion. What do you think was the pinnacle moment of the decade? You look at some of the moments that we've seen in this decade. Baseball right now is in a transition mode. We are seeing baseball change, and the fan base is changing. The player contingent is changing. And it's just one of those things that people are just going to have to get used to. Pace of play is a big issue in Major League Baseball. 
And, and it's not necessarily the length of games. People get all caught up in the length of games. And, and to an extent, the length of games is a problem. But getting back to your point here, I think one of the pinnacle things that we're going to take away from this decade is the, the thought and the alarms that have been sounded in terms of pace of play. Now, obviously, we could sit here and talk about the baseballs and, the, and their composition over the last couple of seasons, but I, I don't think that really sums up a, the decade perspective. I think if you look at the Buster Posey rule with home plate collisions, I think that dominated a lot of conversation maybe toward the beginning of the decade. I think that conversation has since kind of died down. You'll hear some people that are frustrated when a play goes to review back in New York and then something gets overturned or they keep it the way it is or and people thought it should have been in the other way. Whatever, it's going to happen. But if you look at the pinnacle moment, besides the whole pace of play thing, I think it's really delving down to player safety. Similar to the way that concussions have changed the NFL, baseball has been changed I don't want to say moderately because it's not that much, but it's not slightly either. It's somewhere between those two. So you could look at that, or you could sit here and say the process of instant replay. And that, to me, has dominated this decade, despite the fact that it wasn't in place fully for the entire decade. I just think it's one of those things that we're going to sit back here and look back when Jim Joyce... And that whole situation, Armando Galarraga with the Tigers' quote-unquote perfect game. That would have gone down as a perfect game. We almost have to put an asterisk next to that because if that happens in 2019, they change the call. That, to me, is the landmark moment of this decade when instant replay, and I'm not talking about home runs, and, and the, when instant replay was fully implemented. That, to me is what has changed Major League Baseball forever. You have a person in the dugout dedicated to watching replays and telling the manager whether they should challenge it or not. That's wild. What? That, that's a person's job now. That wasn't anybody's job 10 years ago. They didn't care. You know what's sad, though? And not to go on a whole rant about this, but how does Little League Baseball find a way to make this work Years before Major League Baseball could implement this. I don't get it. And the plays in Williamsport at the Little League World Series are reviewed like 10 times faster. And there's never been a controversy from Williamsport from a, a replay. I think that's because the MLB can't really, I won't say afford, but you can't like afford in the middle of a game to do research and development. At Little League level, you probably can. So I think that's why it's taking some more time. I also think part of it goes into just how much bigger the MLB is to the uh, Little League World Series. Yeah. Well, and I get that. But the fact that a, I'll call them multi-million dollar operation, because they are, the fact that a small multi-million dollar operation can figure out how to implement replay in its games before a multi-billion dollar industry can, I think is is sad. And I, hey, give Little League the credit, man. They, they did a great, they did a great job with it. Those people in Williamsport, they, they get the job done. But the fact that Major League Baseball, I think, couldn't implement this sooner is maybe challenging. No pun intended. Well, <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you. That was a good speech. My, my moment's going to be a little bit diminished in light of that. 
I'm going to go a little bit simpler. I'm going to say, uh, as a homer, the Derek Jeter walk-off Yankee Stadium this last game. Oh, please. that He got a meatball. That was so set up. Listen, I'm not a conspiracy guy. <laughs> I am not a conspiracy guy. But, man, that was that was a pretty convenient pitch, wasn't it? Listen, I, I've heard all the rumors, and I've heard all the people saying, oh, he was given that ball. Derek Jeter is the best shortstop of all time. Absolutely, without a doubt. And whether or not he was given that ball, there's no chance an MLB pitcher worth his salt, which is most of them, is going to give him a free pass. However, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think those players have a respect for each other. Well, Better than any other professional sport. I don't care if you're talking about soccer, hockey. Eh, eh. I'm still giving baseball players over the edge of hockey. NBA players, they couldn't care less about each other. And neither could guys in the NFL. I don't think... I'm going to disagree here on a little bit of a tangent. I don't think the baseball players are anywhere close to anywhere like a soccer team. You look at the way they're unified and bonded over that. No, no, no. I'm talking about the way they treat the their, their opponents. Right, no, I, that's what I'm saying. The like, way they treat their opponents. I, I don't see the same thing in baseball. I really don't. But on a, that's a different conversation to have. My Too many bean balls, I guess. My thing is like... You know the old thing, work until your idols become your rivals? I think if you're a pitcher and you're getting the chance to strike out Derek Cheater, yeah, you play him with a little bit of respect. You're not going to drive him inside. But, man, you have the chance to, to really take it to him. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying there's not a chance. You have a better chance of a cold day in hell before a pitcher is going to give Derek Cheater a free ball. So who was the pitcher that was pitching to him? I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> Incredible. I would say that might feed into it a little bit, too. If it was like just some random dude. Or if right. it was like Steven Strasburg. If it's, if it's a, here's my thing too. If it's a bigger name, which it very well could have been, I really don't remember. But if it, let's say it's Clayton Kershaw, okay, maybe he gives him a free pass. Maybe he go, maybe he doesn't go as hard as, as Clayton Kershaw can. If you're a nobody, man, you have the chance to be the guy who ended Derek Jeter's Yankee career without letting him walk it off. Like everybody was waiting for that moment. They're all like, "What's gonna happen?" I remember sitting up and watching that moment, thinking Derek Jeter's gonna do something stupid, crazy here, and he did. So my point is that's my moment. Parker, did you have a moment that you wanted to talk about? Well, it, by the way, it was Evan Meek. Evan, okay. Evan Meek for for the Baltimore Orioles. And they said Meek's cutter usually reaches the plate at 90.2 miles an hour. They said that pitch was clocked in at 85. Okay, well, <laughs> sure. So, sure. We're not talking about like one or two. Maybe the, maybe the radar gun was off like a mile an hour or two. Maybe the gun was up. No. 85 versus 90 is a big difference. That, that game also went almost to midnight. So you're talking about fatigued players, tiredness setting oh, in. Oh, my goodness. Baseball, play, they pitch to like one batter and they go home. The relievers, they don't even pitch to anybody anymore. It was still warming up. Uh, okay, oh, moving yeah, on. Yeah, Parker. Sorry, Parker. <laughs> so my moment would have to be the 2016 Fatigue. World Series with the Chicago Cubs winning their oh, first now I've heard it all. World Series in like 800 years. So I'm just going to go with that. It's a safe pick. It's the big moment that I remember because I haven't really, I've, to be honest, I have only really been watching baseball for like the past like two, three years. So it's like that's just the one moment that really sticks out to me. But it's also a big moment in sports history too because up to that point, the Cubs were a laughing stock. They weren't really much of anything. They were just like, oh, there's a team that hasn't won a World Series since my grandpa was in high school. But how about the rain delay? Like, after the ninth oh inning. God, like, was... It starts to rain after the ninth <laughs> inning. Like, that was just wild. We have this, like, 20, 30-minute rain delay. It was almost like Fox had, like, a pregame show for the 10th inning. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it was like, 
That ad, of course, you, I don't know. You're, that's, that's tough to drum up a conspiracy for, but that was just, the timing of it was just impeccable. L- let it me was. just say, too, if anybody in this show could sell out harder than me with a Derek Jeter moment, it's Parker with the 2016 cherry-picked World Series. I was honestly waiting for you to say, and David Ross on Dancing with the Stars <laughs> after it. But, um... I don't know, the Lindor fight was pretty good. It was. The- Listen, I, I don't advocate fighting in baseball. But you know what? It doesn't happen often. I so mean, when it so when I mean, it does, you I mean, I you'll see will. you'll see benches clear all the time, and you get tough guys bumping chests. And he took a swing. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes. I remember Joey Bats and Runet Odor too. They had a little tussle after the bat flips. Yeah, I like feisty. Well, I think we're gonna wrap the baseball episode now because we kind of touched on everything. I think baseball is a little bit harder to personify certain moments. We want to thank Luke for coming on. Want to say thank you to uh, those of you who listened to that rant that we just had. Love it. And we got a couple more surprises coming up for you here at the end of the year for Daft Picks. So, so stay tuned. But this was the baseball wrap, and we'll be back with another episode shortly. So thank you again, Luke. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having yeah. me. And we will see you next time. <laughs>